Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Jamie. What a nice guy. He was my best man, actually. Those of you don't know. I wasn't his, but um, that's all right. That's, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, yeah. Hey, guys. I'm Hunter. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be speaking on, on Matthew tonight. And... Um, Bear with me. I've 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 been battling this week. I had a cry on the phone to Tom on one of the days, just struggling to compile everything down to 15 minutes. So, if it's a little bit mismatch, that's why. But I'll try my best. Um, just a quick summary um, on the Sermon on the Mount for those of you who haven't read through it. Um, three chapters in the Book of Matthew. Um, five, six, and seven. If you haven't, and if you don't know much about this teaching, I just encourage you for the next couple minutes, just flick through and just do a little skim over and just have a look at all the different headings um, for each topic that that Christ is speaking on. Um, Because I want us to explore this text that I'm going to be reading on, reading and teaching on um, with sort of like a keeping in mind what Jesus has just finished saying. And I think a good way that we can sort of summarize that is actually um, in verse 6, chapter 33, or chapter 6, verse 33 um, of, of the Sermon on the Mount. And it, and it says, but seek first, oh, here we go, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So I think there's a, there's a good summary to sort of sum up everything that Jesus has just been speaking on. And we'll keep that in mind as we go through and, and read on this passage I'm going to be teaching on, which is Matthew 7, verse 7 through to 11. And it goes like this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. For which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father is, who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I'm going to break this down into sort of two, two sections. The first being um, verses 7 and 8, and then the following being 9 through to 11. Um, the first being sort of like a call to action. Um, and, and the second being a, a good father. And so this, this call to action, I, I want to differentiate the difference between these two because they're very similar, um, but with this one key, key difference. So we've got asking will be given to you, seeking you'll find, knocking the door will be open to. But this is for everyone. Like this, this call to action is for, for everyone that ever was and ever will be. And I think this is important to remember because it, I think it's important that Jesus put this in because it clears up any debate over who this was meant for. This wasn't meant for 
leaders of churches. This wasn't meant for just the disciples. This was meant for every single man, woman, and child that was there on that day and that will ever be. So for everyone who asks, receives. And for everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, it will be open to them. The question is, ask and you will receive. We see the same and very similar statements throughout the Gospels. Um, we see it in, in Matthew 7, uh, verse 7, which we just read, 21, 22, uh, Mark eleven twenty four, Luke eleven nine, and John 15, 7. Take note how all of these are all quotations. These are all in red. They are all the words of Jesus. And so I think we need to be careful when, when reading this and make sure it's in context because if we don't, we can come at it with this approach of like, this is just a blanket promise that we have from God with no conditions. A blank check, if you want to call it that. We can ask anything we want and God is obligated to answer our prayers. If we assume that ask and you'll receive means ask for anything you want and I will give it to you, we have essentially turned God into a genie in a bottle that just does everything we want and everything we could possibly ask for. And I think that in this day and age, that seems to be quite prevalent in certain sects of our faith when we look at sort of the prosperity gospel that's, that's all over the Western world and word of faith movements that are just like commanding God to do what it is, whatever their prerogative is. And so I think that as we move forward and as we read through verses 9 to 11, we need to remember to read all these verses and to read scripture in context and read it through the lens of Christ and through the lens of the people at the time. And so let's do that. Let's carry on. Nine through to 11. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. There's a bit of an idea that we see in this, and it's this idea of a good parent taking care of their children by providing the needs that they have. And it sort of crept me up when I was preparing for this because I was thinking, oh, this is kind of like the wrong audience to be speaking about parenting advice to. Um, raise your hands. Who actually has children in this room? like five or ten of us, is pretty slim. I feel like the best parenting advice I could give is like how to look after a Tamagotchi or something like that, <laughs> or like a dog, which is pretty straightforward. You just feed it and walk it. I think kids are probably a bit more. But like, let's be real, I feel like most of us in this room would probably have a good idea of like the basic needs of our children. Food, water, warm clothes, education, the house, all that kind of stuff. Where am I? So we can do all this, we can do all these things, even while we are sinful. 
and broken. So how much more will our Father who is in heaven, who is perfect and holy, give good things to us? So what are those good things? Is the next question. I think this is when we apply that that chapter 6, verse 33 again. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you. So I think, what, what, is, what is this good thing that he's going to give to us? And, and, and a good thing, biblically, would be righteousness. These are the things, this is what God calls us to as believers in him. And this looks like being loving, having joy, being peaceful, being patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and having self-control. But how could we possibly in our own strength live up to all those things? Turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 11, verses 9 to 13. And I've put, I've put them up side by side here. We've got Matthew 7 and then we've got Luke 11. And just look at the comparison between them. They're like basically the same passage, both said by Jesus, but with one distinct difference between them. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? It's the Holy Spirit. Did you notice how all those things I mentioned about righteousness were the fruits of the Spirit? It is only by falling on our knees, giving our lives to Christ, and being filled with the Holy Spirit that we can attain righteousness. And so if we then apply that to what we read earlier, seek and you will find, ask and will be given to you, knock and the door will be open. If we ask for things that are of God and are holy and are righteous through the Holy Spirit, he will give us these things. The promise of ask and receive will never disappoint us. God knows exactly what you need before you ask him. And we see that. Jesus teaches that in chapter six. Do not be like them, for you know the Father knows what you need before you ask him. There is no chance of the things that we need not being in God's will. He promises to supply what we need when we seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And what we want is not always what we need. If a child asks for lollies for dinner every single night, <laughs> no, no is the answer. It is not what you need. If we're asking God for a million dollars every other day, no, it is not what we need. That is not going to call it, that is not the call to righteousness. If we want what is, if we want what is not in God's will, then we really don't want to receive it. Well, we should really not want to receive it. God knows what is good for us, and He is faithful and loving to say no to our selfish and worldly prayers. No matter how much we want what we're asking for, God will always give us good things, and that's the heavenly good things, the righteous good things. 
Our job is to understand what is good so that we know what to ask for. Our natural mind cannot understand this, but when we find salvation and receive the Holy Spirit, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Then, then, asking for what we need in faith, we will have all that we need for our lives. Cool? Main. Thanks, guys. So good. Thanks, Hunter. That was mean. Best groomsman, that guy. Best groomsman. Um, let's give it up for uh, Hunter and give it up for Natasha as she comes on up. <laughs> um, let me pray for you, Natasha, and, uh, and I'll hand over to you. Father, I just thank you so much for the word that you have uh, put on Natasha's heart. Um, Lord, I pray, uh, I pray for her. I pray that you would calm any uh, nerves and you would help her uh, to preach your word. Lord, we thank you so much that you know what we need um, before we even ask. And Lord, I know that you know what Natasha needs. And I pray that you would uh, fill her with your spirit right now. Give her everything that she needs to, to preach your word, to teach us. Would you find in us, Lord, available people, soft hearts, willing to listen, willing to learn. Bless her. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jamie. Um, I also wasn't Jamie's best man, so... <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know why that became my opening statement, but just to create some continuity. Um, yeah, as Hunter set up so well, we're both sharing out of the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew, and I am sharing from just a couple verses back. Um, actually got a sneak preview into my section with in Hunter's message too. Um, so I'm just going to jump into it. I'm reading Matthew 6, verse 25 to 34, which says, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Um whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will um, bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. 
the writing's really small when your Bible's like under these lights. Um, yeah, man, I love this passage from Jesus so much. Um, and as Hunter was saying, context is so important and it comes right off the back of Jesus talking about money and possessions and not storing up our treasure here on earth and, and devoting our lives to that. Um, which I think is quite cool because it situates this whole chat about worrying as a real, like, practical, this is our real life, everyday uh, kind of chat. Um, It's not, like, abstract or this, like, spiritual higher plane kind of a thing. It's like, yeah, we we worry about money and possessions and what are we going to eat and wear and all of this stuff. So um, it's great. I think there's some really cool practical tips for worry in there as well. Like, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough troubles. Just focus on today. Um, And there's such a clear logic to it. But ironically, as I have been kind of preparing to share about this over the last month or so, I've found the level of worry in my life just like rocketing through the roof. And it's, it's... It's just been like uni work. It's not even life or death, but it has just been like every single week, even though I'm thinking about this all, well, not all the time, but, you know, a lot. um, It felt like all of the just kind of little snatches of wisdom in this weren't getting to the root of my worry, and I kept on worrying more and more. Um, I was thinking about how you have screen time apps, things on your phone and I was wondering like if I had a kind of screen time thing for my life and I looked over at the amount of hours I spent into worrying it would probably be a ridiculous amount um maybe like just bet by sleeping and maybe nothing else um so I was thinking wow this is ironic um (laughs) And this afternoon, I was actually going for a walk, and I was trying to just get my thoughts in order, and I had some great ideas about, like, worry and how God fits in with that. And, but I was thinking about how worried I had been just so above usual over the past month, and kind of visualizing it as, um, like, I was just walking through my life, and every day, it was like I was holding hands with this other figure that was my worry, and we were like walking through life together and I couldn't seem to shake this worry. And I think the way I was reading Jesus's words in this passage is I was like, okay, so I've got worry in one hand and then like Jesus is here and I need to not let worry stop me from like looking at Jesus and following him. Um, I can't let my, you know, getting distracted by talking to worry or whatever, take away time that I should be talking to Jesus. Um, So I was kind of thinking along those lines. And then I, as I was walking in this park this afternoon, it was one of those like real random violent gusts of wind that strikes Wellington now and then. And it just interrupted my thoughts enough because, you know, all the trees were going crazy and it just sounded real loud. I was like, whoa, the wind. And, And it I think it just paused my worries about the sermon enough that I felt like God was saying, um, Natasha, the thing I'm trying to say in this passage is do not worry. It's not about like how to strategically not 
let the shackles of worry slow you down. But actually, I don't want those shackles of worry. I don't want you to be holding hands with worry at all. And I was just kind of like, whoa, like revelation for me anyway. And, and it really seems to fit in my mind with a theme that you see throughout the whole Bible whenever God is speaking to people where one of the first things he always has to say is don't be afraid. And there's something along the lines of trust me. And I think that that is something that Jesus is driving home in this real specific way in this passage, which I think is awesome. Um, yeah, it's not just following Jesus despite the worry, but actually he's saying so clearly so I tell you not to worry. Um, yeah, so don't worry about these things, bloody blah, blah. I was like, wow, I've read this a lot and I didn't really read it like that. Um, yeah, so I, I know that from experience that just being like, oh, great. So Jesus says don't worry doesn't really kind of fix that always automatically. I think the Holy Spirit is a huge part of that. And also um, these kind of three points that I noticed that Jesus brings out in this passage, which is, first of all, do we know that God knows what's going on? Um, it says in verse something, um, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. And I think sometimes we, we don't know, we don't believe that God knows what's actually going on, that he notices. Um, and not only like in a, he's God, he knows everything kind of thing, but, you know, Jesus as our great high priest who came and walked the nitty gritty of life and knows what it is to struggle and to worry and to have fears and doubts and all these things. Um, yeah, so do we know that God actually knows and notices the things that are worrying us in life? And secondly, do we know that God cares? Not just like, oh, I know everything because I'm God, but actually cares about what's going on in our lives. And I'm just going to reread the birds and the flowers part because it's so just beautiful and mind-blowing. Um, Jesus says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Um, that just blows my mind. Like, I'm definitely not out there wondering about the Courtney Place pigeons next feed. <laughs> but this is saying, like, God even cares about where the birds are going to get their next meal or how beautifully he creates flowers that bloom and then the next day are dead and ready to be thrown into the fire. And I think, um, I think we need to remember God's love for us, as cheesy as that sounds, and that when we're going through times of worry, that he's not just disappointed that we don't trust him enough to not worry and also that he's not 
so busy that this small thing in my life isn't doesn't matter to him. Like, I've found that I so compartmentalize my worries into what is something to bring to God and pray to him with and what is just for me. Like, for me, uni work is that, where I'm like, I signed myself up to do this. I've got to get myself through the mahi, and it's not really God's problem, which I think really... Um, just takes God out of the picture of like how much he cares about me and all the little things about my life and how much he loves me, um, which is pretty outstanding. And just quickly as well, the third point is, do we know that he provides? That Do we, do we trust that he'll give us what we need, like Hunter was saying, um, as well as just knowing and caring about us? And... Also, in the times where it doesn't really make sense at all what's going on, do we still trust his plan and that he provides what we're going to need? Um, yeah, and I just want to finish on this thought, which a friend shared with me on this topic, which is kind of sums up for me why it's so important to take Jesus seriously on this whole not worry thing. Um, and just this thought that worry can consume and distract us from the only thing that can fill the very needs we are in distress over. And so, yeah, that's my, my thought I had to share on worry, and, and hopefully that helps. <laughs> Thank you.